For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit, more powerful than any other created being. He is God, the Spirit of the Lord. And we walk in liberty because of his presence. And we will walk as kingdom overcomers throughout this day and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Paul is writing to the church and he's telling us our battles involve spirits. Now we know the military gears up and gets ready to go to war and they put on battle rattle and all the equipment needed to engage an adversary. And Paul said ours goes beyond that. Our battles involve spirits. And there appears to be four spirit rebels, principalities, and that name speaks of the arch of a doorway, the main entry. The name translates first ones, premier ones, chief ones. They rule cities and nations, powers, the spirits who have been granted power under Satan for direct deployment and tasks, rulers of the darkness of this world, the spirits that control sin. They plant dark thoughts in the minds of people, uh, encouraging them to veer off into practiced sin And they become under the influence of these spirits so they can't break free. Wicked spirits in heavenly places. That's actually the cosmos. Spirits in the upper atmosphere. There are spirits in the upper atmosphere and spirits in the lower atmosphere. Spirits in the upper atmosphere influence national strategies concerning empires and nations. You'll find all of that in Daniel chapter 10. What a great study that book is. Uh, If anybody's going to have a movie made about him or her, it should be Daniel. And as he prayed about the future, it took three weeks to get a specific answer on this occasion. In verses 11 and 12, we get the most detailed revelation of the end of days you'll ever want to read. Daniel receives revelation of kings and rulers to come in history, and with precision, because it's by the Holy Spirit. How is Daniel so spot on? Because there's a God who knows all things. And he can reveal things before they occur. National spirits will attempt to influence elections. Principalities will attempt to control the thinking of national leaders. Well, we've got that going on in North Korea. How did Satan organize his kingdom? You can look in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Luke 10, 18 to 19 the book of Revelation, chapter 12, and you'll see how Satan organizes his kingdom. Lucifer was the anointed cherub. He was designated, not one of many, but he was the one. He was perfect in all of his ways until iniquity was found in him. And Jesus was present in heaven the day Lucifer fell like lightning from heaven. In Revelation 12, it says there was one-third of the angels that rebelled with Lucifer and were cast out with him. Now watch. For every devil you fight, you've got two angels fighting for you. There are always more for you than there are against you. And the word tells us in Ezekiel that Lucifer was created as a musician with an amazing voice and ability to make all kinds of musical sounds 
from the very body that God created for him with pipes and timbrels. He was the only created being ever permitted to stand in the glory and the fire of God. Lucifer attempted to exalt himself above the throne of God, and we know Satan exalted himself, and he was cast out, and one-third of the angels followed him. And how did Satan choose the chain of command for his fallen followers? How did he choose how that would look and how that would work? Because he has an organization, and he's got chain of command, different authority, power, influence, spirits with differing levels of authority. Well, there were times Jesus cast the devil out of one person, numerous times in the Gospels, and Mary Magdalene was another person he would cast devils out, and she she was possessed with seven at one time. The man of Gadara was possessed by 2,000 devils, and Jesus delivered the person with single demons instantaneously with the word, be free, come out, and the person was free, done. The man of Gadara, when delivered, the devil's entered a herd of pigs, 2,000 pigs, one for each pig drowned. And there was some resistance at first because those devils were under the authority of a demon named Legion, a powerful devil. When an unclean spirit, Jesus taught, goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. See, that's why we've got to get people discipled, Because if it's an empty room, the enemy will come right back. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So if a person knows the Lord and falls back into the ways of sin and does not want to repent but continues and insists on this kind of behavior, when that spirit comes back, it won't just be the one who had initial influence. More will come with him to do further damage. And a person once born again, they allow an offense in their life. They grow angry, bitter. They start cursing and develop hatred for spiritual leadership and their church. How did that happen? You're not dealing with one original spirit. It's the original spirit of influence plus seven more. There are individuals who are more difficult to bring to Jesus because there are strong spirits now oppressing their minds than they had when they first began. How did Satan choose a specific fallen angel as a principality? Because it says there are spirits more wicked than others, Jesus said. So does he choose a principality to rule a region because it is more wicked? Or was it because they were created by God with higher assignment in their original state in heavenly and earthly knowledge? Maybe a combination of of both. These spirits have will, power, they can speak through people, they have intellect, they can cause illness, fear, and lying and deceit are natural for them. Spirits are located in three realms. There is one group of fallen angels bound deep in the earth in a place called Tataris. In the Greek, it means the deepest chamber under the earth where the worst of angels and worst of sinners are held. ISIS, they're there. Bin Laden, he's there. Hitler, he's there. Now watch. God did not spare angels who sin, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. There's a group of them 
hanging out down there that are going to come out one day, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. The second group of fallen angels are here on earth. God asked Satan where he had been one day. And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Some angels are bound. Some of them will be loose during the great tribulation to torment humanity. Those are the ones being held right now in bondage beneath the earth. There are others here on earth working to destroy the human race. And there's a third group in the atmosphere because Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. And Satan has control in the second heaven. The third heaven is beyond humanity to see, even with telescopes of the greatest magnitude, because the third heaven remains beyond our access, except as we pass from mortal into immortality. And that's when we'll get to step into the third heaven. But with every empire, there's a strong spirit right under Satan who dominates that empire. Now, a great sign, it says in in John's book of Revelation, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon. And by the way, that's the symbol of a nation called China, having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his heads. When you begin at Genesis looking at the empires, it begins with Egypt. Joseph is taken to Egypt. It's the most powerful country and and military in the world. And and Jacob and the entire family end up there for 400 years. The descendants of Abraham entered Egypt with 70 souls. Hundreds of years pass and 600,000 men plus women plus children left. The next empire we read about in Scripture is the Assyrian Empire. Then came the Babylonian Empire, then the Medes and Persian Empires, then Alexander the Great in the Grecian Empire. From Malachi to John the Baptist, there's about a 400-year gap between those writings and those revelations from God to man. Alexander the Great was in power during that time. And I want the Holy Spirit to help us to see some of this. After the Grecians came the Roman Empire, from the Gospels to the book of Revelation, or from 1 AD, the birth of Jesus, to 95 AD, John on the Isle of Patmos receiving Revelation, the Romans were in rule. 27 books of the New Testament, all written during the Roman Empire. It's the army that destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD and took the Jews captive and scattered them all over that part of the world. Whatever happened to the Roman Empire? Imperial Rome split between Rome and Italy and the place that Emperor Constantine built, which then was called Constantinople, now part of Turkey. The Western Empire came under the denomination or domination of the Roman Catholic Church and its popes. Rome from the 5th century until today. And we still have vestiges of that empire. The other half of that empire, the Byzantine Empire, ruled from Turkey. That empire ruled for 1,000 years until they lost it to the Muslims. In the 21st century, Muslims took the beautiful St. Sophia's and turned it into a mosque. 
The center now is called Istanbul. And we heard about that place if you were here last Sunday night. And if you weren't, you missed a fantastic presentation. The Imperial Roman Empire no longer exists. The Roman Church does. And that's why the book of Revelation in 95 AD, John writes about a city ruling over the kings of the earth. It has a gold cup in its hand and draped in purple. And he calls it Mystery Babylon. It didn't exist in his day. In John's day, it was just Imperial Rome. And just saying, in the Vatican, where the Pope takes his seat when he is giving his decrees, over him is a carving of a woman with a huge gold cup. Rome went from a political empire to a religious empire. And after all these empires appears a dragon with seven heads, ten horns, the last ten kings in biblical prophecy that rule on the planet. The Antichrist will direct those last ten. The seven heads of the dragon are controlled by seven principality spirits. Now pay attention to this. Egypt had a prince spirit. Assyria had a prince spirit. Babylon had a prince spirit. Medan Persians, they had prince spirits. Greece had a prince spirit. Rome had a prince spirit. Daniel had been fasting for 21 days, asking God for revelation. Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. This is Gabriel talking to him. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. Daniel was in the third year of the rule of Cyrus of Persia when this prayer was offered. Babylon had been overthrown. Daniel was dealing with a brand new principality now. There had been the prince of Persia. This was the prince of Persia. And Babylon, every time, under Babylonian rule, every time Daniel prayed, he received an answer. Lion's den, fiery furnace. He got answers just like that, right? And, and when we look at this, there was no waiting. When you're in a fiery furnace, you don't have three weeks to wait for an angel to show up with help, right? When thrown into a lion's den, you've got about five seconds before the lions turn your leg into rump roast. You need a breakthrough, and you better be prayed up before you face the lion or the furnace. And why did Daniel have breakthrough under Babylonian rule and not so quickly under the Persian rule? Daniel and the three Hebrew boys gained favor with the leadership in the Babylonian rule because every time he was tested, he wouldn't compromise and God would promote him. And the king asked, Daniel, did your God show up last night after he'd been thrown into the lion's den? Daniel and others were in captivity and they all prayed to their God, the one God, while they were in captivity. They never failed. Daniel prayed three times a day. That's what got him in some trouble with the other leadership in the kingdom, the Babylonian Empire. Now, under Persian rule, when the Jews are released and they go back out of their captivity to Israel, Daniel's too old to make the journey. He remains to serve, and he alone left as they're praying. And that's why Jesus emphasized the importance of two or three of us coming into agreement and why the church needs to gather on a regular basis because when the church gathers to pray, God strengthens all of us collectively when the church gathers to pray. 
my goodness, and you can't get people to come together to pray anymore, and we need it more today than they needed it back in their day. We need the prayer support of others to move a principality. When Bernard Johnson came to preach here, I wasn't here maybe within the first year, and he got up on the platform, and he looked over at me, and he said, Pastor, there are three spirits that control this city. And he publicly declared them. He said, deception, greed, and indifference. And they need to come down for this community to have the kind of move of God that God wants. And I, I listened to him and I thought, man, this, is, this was a phenomenal man of God whose ministry still continues on in Brazil to this day. And we have to understand, it takes the prayer support of others to move principalities. Sometimes we have to have an Aaron and a Hur to get under our arms and hold up our arms until the devil is defeated. Amen? Amen? Now the Persians rule, and there's a new principality. And so Daniel begins a whole other war and another fight. And who followed the Persians? Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? The, the angel of the Lord Gabriel says to him, and now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. So he identifies the spirits, the principalities that are taking position. Gabriel is telling Daniel when he, when he subdues this prince, he, he then has to remain because there are others on their way. See, there are some things that are supposed to happen. They're just supposed to happen because God has ordained them. The media and the pollsters will tell us, not going to happen. That's never going to happen. When God Almighty sends his angel into a situation... He turns things around. He does the unexpected. Well, where's that in the Bible? In the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up, the angel of the Lord is speaking, to confirm and strengthen him, to influence him. When this leader came to power, he needed strength. He needed ability. Now, why did he need to be strengthened? Because it's all in Ezra and Nehemiah and those books. When the Jews came back to rebuild, the Samaritans were in charge. And economically and politically, they ran everything in Israel. And three representatives from the Samaritans came to Nehemiah when he came to rebuild Jerusalem. And he said, they said to him, we're going to resist you. We're going to fight you. And Jews had to ride camels all the way back to Babylon to retrieve the papers with the decrees of Cyrus to rebuild Jerusalem. And that's why the angel had to strengthen the king so he would do what he was supposed to do. Because there was opposition. Are you with me? Now watch this. These are the principalities over the empires. In Revelation, there is a seventh prince that will rule over the seventh empire for 42 months. Those are the seven heads of the dragon. In other words, the principalities under Satan ruling these empires. Now what's the principality that ruled Egypt? The spirit of bondage. Israelis were enslaved. They couldn't think for themselves. They had to work for the government. They got their housing and their pay from the government. They were dependent and weren't sure they could make it without Egyptian government support. The spirit of bondage can be only broken by the authority of the supernatural power of God. Moses held the rod, God opened the Red Sea, and he made a way where there was no way. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption. 
You've been set free to be a child of God. Amen? The Assyrians, they scattered 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. Only Judah and Benjamin remained. It's the spirit of division. When you deal with an Assyrian spirit, it is the spirit of division. The truth text. I am deeply troubled by the division America is undergoing right now. In my lifetime, I have not seen such a spirit of division. And I watch people taking positions they may have a right to take, but some things you may have a right to do are not right to do. So let me speak freely. This has happened. There are some pastors in pulpits in America telling black people not to attend a white church. Yes, that's happening. There are white supremacists, spiritual leaders, forbidding their people from attending a church with any people of color. There is an Assyrian spirit attempting to divide the church along race, ethnicity, economics, As long as I'm walking around breathing, I will fight that devil in the name of Jesus. I'll tell you this. Whites are welcome. Blacks are welcome. Hispanics are welcome. East Indians are welcome. Because we are one blood in Jesus Christ. Color has nothing to do with your blood. We have the same blood. And when you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, you are a child of God. Babylon, the spirit of compromise. When Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were captured, the first thing the king does is give them Babylonian names to try to diminish the influence of the God that they served. And Daniel was given the name Belteshazzar which has its, is a derivative of, from the God's name, Baal. Daniel, in all his writings, never one time, this, the, the spiritual backbone of this guy, never in all of his writings refers to himself by the Babylonian name assigned to him. He refers to himself by his kingly lineage, Daniel. He writes, I, Daniel. Daniel means man of God. He refused the tag as they were choosing to give it to him. He would not eat the king's food. Some of it was offered to idols. We are going to obey the word of the living God. And only his word will we obey. And there were things on that table that as Jewish people they were forbidden to eat. And he would not compromise. Many Christians today... They'll tell you, well, you know, I know what it says in the Bible, but didn't Paul say when in Rome to do what the Romans do? And I don't want to offend the Babylonians, so go ahead and pour some in my glass because pastor is not here to see me. Observe your children and grandchildren as they observe your compromise. And guess what they will do? Even more compromising. And when they are arrested for DUI or injure someone in an accident, it's because compromise was permitted under your roof. So we will have this band playing 
and an idol for you that I've constructed for you to bow to, made of solid gold. Just jump in with us and enjoy. Get along with us. Go along with our our celebration. The story of it's the story of the three Hebrew boys and the furnace that was heated seven times hotter. And, and that furnace that they were about to get tossed into was the very furnace, listen, that created that image. It was forged in that furnace of flame. The Spirit wants to change your name and your culture and your beliefs and say you're outdated. You're not with the times. You are out of touch. You practice a faith that comes from the dinosaur age because pastors are drinking today. There's a wine bar in the green room in one church so that before you step to the pulpit, you can take a glass of wine. Compromise. But listen, this dinosaur still breathes fire. It's Holy Spirit fire. And those three boys never compromised. And Daniel was put in charge of everything from king to king to king. And never one time did he ever waver in his trust and his faith for God, even when it endangered his life. He stood for God no matter the consequence. The Medes and the Persians, laws that could not be changed. That spirit, government laws, oppressing the people. Women have the legal right to abortion in our country. She will answer to God, but don't take my tax dollars to pay for it. Two of the same gender want to marry. They now have the right to do that. I believe what God says about that, and I will not compromise his truth on that matter. But don't attempt to make a Christian have to bow to it. This spirit passes laws to subvert you and then punishes you when you refuse to bow and refuse to obey them. Like the bakers that we've 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 watched the bakers and their some of them and their refusal. I, I can't bake for that kind of an event. It's it's not a celebratory event that God will honor. And you know they want a rainbow on their cake and I'm gay on their cake. And I thought about that and I thought you know I wonder if there are any gay bakers. And if we would take passage of scripture that tells us we shouldn't practice that kind of sin, would they bake that cake and put that on there for us? I wonder if they do that. I wonder. The Grecian Empire, the anti-God spirit. Under this empire, there were what were called Hellenistic Jews. They were under the influence of a spirit that removed the Torah from public use. You couldn't read the scripture. They forbade prayers in public. And they were into the worship of their physical bodies and sports became all-encompassing. In today's world... They would remove prayer from the public arena. They would remove God's word from public schools. There could be no praying at any sporting events. They want to tear down the barriers that God's word has established in truth. And in those days, the Hellenistic Jews were concentrated in the larger communities. There are people in government who think everyone in this room 
are idiots. Listen to me. There are people in government. We have some in California, some all the way in D.C. who think everyone in this room are idiots. Let me define idiot. They can't balance a budget in government. There's a good definition to start with. If you want a definition, there's one to start with. They took away the religious freedom of the common person until the common person in that day under Hellenistic influence, the common person rose up and it was called the Maccabean Rebellion. In three years, they reversed the entire mess. Altars were restored. The temple was purged. They restored the, the sacrifices. Some people wondered, how did Trump ever become president? It was not the Hellenistic cities. It was middle America that elected him. Maccabeans who rose back up and said, no more of this. We are in Empire 7, ending 6. Between Rome and the end of days, Rome, the spirit of tolerance. Rome was tolerant of every religious expression, but they were intolerant of Christians. Because the Christians had a king other than Caesar. Christianity had such an impact, it put idol worshipers, because they got converted, out of business. And their icons that they created and sold for the worship of these devils put them out of business. And they ran Paul out of town one time because his message closed down their money-making. Absolutely put them out of business. In the fallout, taxes to the empire started dropping off. Christians started taking Sunday off to worship God. The empire insisted, you have to work seven days a week. There were no days off. Government worked. Businesses worked. Ships kept sailing. Weapons were built. So they started calling Christians lazy because they wouldn't go to work on the Sunday. They wanted Sunday off. And rumors began to spread. And the accusation of the empire against Christians, they are intolerant. Christians are not tolerant like we are. See anything familiar? Was Moses tolerant? Was God tolerant when they built a golden calf and then God wiped out 3,000 of them? Was Joshua tolerant at Jericho when he was told to take out the city? Was David tolerant with Goliath? Was Elijah tolerant of the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? Was he tolerant with Jezebel when he told her, dogs are going to eat you? Well, pastor, that's the Old Testament. We're living in the New Testament. True. Was John the Baptist tolerant of the king when he was called out for sexual immorality? Was Jesus tolerant of hypocrites and he called them whited sepulchers? Was he tolerant when he called them vipers? Was Peter tolerant when he he told Simeon, who wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit, your money perish with you? You ought to read that in the original Greek. and It'll tell you exactly what Peter told him. Was Peter tolerant of Ananias and Sapphira when they lied to the Holy Spirit in the middle of a church service? Was Paul tolerant with the boy sleeping with his stepmother and he told the church to turn him over to the devil? There's a difference between loving the person who's trapped in sin, 
who needs Jesus, and then tolerating sin that is practiced in defiance of God's word. We're in the last days, and we need to make up our minds. Do we believe this book? Do we believe this book? Excuse me, I'm tired of Christianity light. It tastes great, but less filling. Yeah, we must love like Jesus, live like Jesus, lead like Jesus. Yes, we must be kind, and yes, we have to have a gentle spirit. But there comes a time when people are walking around in our culture and think they're living the Christian life that are, that are constantly trapped by their addictive behaviors that are sinful in God's sight, and they go into church and walk out of church unmoved and unchanged, and the brokenness in marriages has, is no different among those who claim to be believers among those in our society, and there's no evidence of conversion or transformation, then it's time for the preaching of God's almighty transformational word once again. It sets people free. And there has to be the power of God at work. Amen. And spirit number seven, the spirit of weakness. The spirit of weakness. I've experienced this spirit where I find myself exhausted. Part of it is me needing to take better care of myself. God gave us a brain to use, right? In Luke 13, there was a woman with a spirit of infirmity. And the Greek word for that is asthemia, a spirit of weakness. It can be moral weakness, spiritual weakness, emotional weakness, physical weakness. And this can attack and affect any Christian The word of God says, the spirit of the Antichrist shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Hmm. Wear out is to wear down. If you pour water over rocks continuously, even concrete, over time, it'll begin to wear a groove. Look at the Oroville spillways. You want a living example of what that looks like? A tiny rock in your shoe. You know what that feels like? It's a little stinking pebble. And it drives you crazy. A speck of dust in your eye. A splinter in your finger. Irritants. The enemy will attempt to wear us out. Jesus said the little foxes will spoil the vines. The little stuff. But then little upon little upon little upon little. Nothing major, but all of a sudden, boom. The way I'm wired, I don't like putting stuff off. I attack it so it doesn't pile up. That's just the way I'm wired. But the enemy will use that to wear me down. The remedy? Are you ready for the remedy? I said, are you ready for the remedy? Nehemiah, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The remedy for these end times, the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah was facing war. Three leaders of that other group, opposing group, threatening to kill him and destroy and stop him. Priests that were there were marrying unbelievers, and Nehemiah had to dismiss them from the priesthood because of what they were doing to bring the judgment of God. 
People were discouraged. There was constant rain falling, and they couldn't get their work done. Everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And he said, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. One of the great secrets to restoring your joy and your strength. Listening to worship music. It takes me into his presence where there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because if you think negative all day long, you're not going to have any joy. You better turn some of that news off for a while. Because it's negative, negative, negative. David's worship ran devils off. The second thing that you have to employ is hope. Stuff in your life you look forward to. Amen? Who for the joy that was set before him. He knew where he was going. End of game. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne. I can take this because I know what's coming. Amen? Jesus knew it would be a painful time. But joy would be coming in the morning. He looked forward to victory. And the third thing that will change that entire moment of you feel overwhelmed and weak, be filled with the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit refreshes you. It restores you. It renews you. And Paul went on to say, not only be filled with the Spirit, don't be drunk with wine, that's excess, but be filled with the Spirit and speak to yourselves with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Thank the Lord. He restores. Amen. So in the middle of a time when all these spirits are at work, cumulatively, dividing, oppressing, draining you, doing everything they can to set up the end of days in their favor. We've got news for them. They they need to open this book and read the last chapter because they're going to lose big. Amen? So stand to your feet today and rejoice and thank the Lord.